It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Always some of our favorite podcasts here on Smart Money Questions when we answer your smart money questions as we get ready to open up the mailbag today. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode. Hope you're doing well. Matt Hausman is with us. He's the founder of Old Security Group, serving you in Westchester, PA, Newark, Delaware, and online all across the country. Matt, what's going on with you this week? Living the dream, baby. Living the dream. How about you? Yeah, yeah, doing well and looking forward to what we've got to talk about today because we've got some really good content, some really good questions. And we had so much fun talking about haboobs last time that we got together <laughs> on the podcast. I don't think oh, we can top it. Me. So this week, we're just not even going to have the chit chat here at the beginning of the podcast. We're going to just scrub it. Just get right into it, right? It. If you're like shaking your head going, what did he just say? Go listen yeah. to two podcasts ago and you'll know what we were talking about. I believe that was number 77. And we talk about a haboob in that one. Don't worry. It's nothing. Uh, it actually is a very dirty term. It's just dusty. It's a dusty term. Nothing bad or anything like that. <laughs> That's even better. We're really circling down the drain here. So we're going to move on to your great questions. If you want to submit any of the questions that you have on your mind, we'd love to feature them on the episode. If you don't mind, you can go to smartmoneyquestions.com to ask those and we might feature it on a future program. And we're going to take two questions today on the podcast. The first one comes to us from Valerie in North Carolina. So Valerie's down in my neck of the woods. Valerie says, a friend of mine said, I'm always cautious when these questions start out with like, my brother-in-law or a friend of mine or so-and-so told me something. That's always like a little small red flag for you, right? Uh, A friend of mine said I should investigate doing a self-directed IRA. What in the world is that? You know, this is so interesting because I've had multiple people, including Valerie, ask me this over the course of the last couple weeks. And a self-directed IRA is essentially an IRA type of wrapper. So, for instance, an individual retirement account wrapper. But now it's self-directed, which really is going to allow you to invest in, I'll call it alternative type of investments. You can own a home inside. You can own rental inside this self-directed IRA. You can own Mm -hmm. precious metals, Bitcoin, promissory notes, anything that isn't the traditional idea of what an IRA or 401k would actually own stocks, bonds, annuities, things like that. And so the one thing about understanding the self-directed IRA or Valerie, what I would ask you is why are they telling you that? What are they wanting you to invest in? Are they wanting you to invest in gold? Like actually bars of gold? Is it real estate? Is it the promissory note? And understand that first before just looking at the self-directed IRA. Now I would really be cautioning you on what are they suggesting you invest your money in. I actually have some clients that, lack of a better term, they own like a real estate hedge type fund. And they do what's called unregistered securities or it's an unregistered security listed as a promissory note for there when they go out and they buy distressed first and second mortgages and they give you a guaranteed rate of return and stuff like that. But interestingly enough, 
the document that you sign with them on the term and the rate that they're going to give you, it actually states on there that you could lose 100% of your money if what they buy doesn't perform. And so in doing that, the only way that you can buy that with qualified retirement money is actually through what's called a self-directed IRA. And then, just to let you know, Valerie, you are the one that has to make sure that whatever you're purchasing with the self-directed IRA dollars abides by the IRS regulations around what type of investments can be held inside an IRA. And that's really where the self-directed IRA comes in, is looking at those alternative investments. I've got a couple clients that actually own real estate inside their self-directed IRA, and there's some very, very particular rules that you have to abide by to make sure that it doesn't create a taxable event. So that's a whole long answer to the self-directed IRA. The first thing I would tell you is what are you looking to invest in and really investigate that first before going out and seeking a self-directed IRA. And so you, you really can't do these things inside a traditional or even a Roth IRA if it doesn't have that self-directed, I think the term you used was wrapper around it, that sort of shield. If it's got that shield, then you're allowed to you know do those kinds of alternative investments. And that seems to be very popular these days as well, Matt. Everybody wants I think the alternative. I don't know if it's like the counterculture movement, right? Yeah, I just I don't want to do yeah. what everyone else is doing. I want to have something alternative that works well for me. Is that the craze? I mean, why is there so much interest in this sort of, you know, alternative? I, I think it's becoming more prevalent, quite frankly, because okay. of the internet. And let me just jump back real quick because of what you said. So this is something that's not like the traditional IRA or the traditional Roth. And you are 100% correct. So when you're looking at a self-directed IRA or a self-directed Roth, you have to look for unique custodians that really are serving that industry. And they're abiding also by the IRS rules around whether it's a self-directed IRA or a self-directed Roth IRA. And so that's the first thing you have to look at is what custodian am I going to use? It's not like I can just call E-Trade and say, hey, listen, I'm ready to go buy this house down the street with my IRA money. Will you take that over for me? They're going to say no because they don't service that market. So that's the first thing I would tell you. But I, I think part of the craze is the internet and people read this or they go to some you know, workshop. We joked about it the other day, a real estate conference down at the hotel by the airport which I always think is funny that they always have to be there. It's like who's ever speaking has got to get on a plane as soon as they get your money and get the <laughs> heck out of Dodge. That's right. But I spoke about a client of mine that a year ago, right around now, she was determined that if we remember a year ago, Bitcoin was all the craze, right? Oh my God, cryptocurrency, this is taking over the world, you know, blockchain, all that kind of stuff. And she was going to go move 25% of her entire portfolio, her entire IRA portfolio to a self-directed IRA so she could buy Bitcoin. So that kind of gives you an idea on the Bitcoin is considered an alternative investment. She was going to have to find one of these special custodians to do that. Long story short, she didn't do that. And then about six months ago, there was another craze that she went through, again, because of what I believe is all over the internet, which you really have to be careful about is she moved her entire portfolio to actually holding gold. Not like buying a gold index fund, but actually owning gold. And there's actually an institution right down in Wilmington, Delaware, 
It's basically like a large safe, and they're a self-directed IRA firm if you want to own precious metals. And you can buy the gold and go store it there and come down on a Saturday morning and touch it. Pretty so cool. it's, it's that – I think it's that the craze kind of comes from all the stuff now, the instant headlines that are arrived on our phones, on our tablets, or on our PC and Macs just on the internet. Well, it's interesting to see what's the craze, what's the thing that's kind of jumping up and grabbing our attention, you know, what's the thing of the day. And that shiny object sometimes does peel away our attention. Doesn't always mean it's a bad idea, but certainly means you should approach it with a lot more, I guess, caution. Be a lot more careful as you go through those different things. So a really good question, though, Valerie. Thank you for submitting that one to us, asking about those self-directed IRAs. You learn something new every day, and I think probably a lot of us did on the podcast today. If you want to submit those questions, once again, it's smartmoneyquestions.com, your place to go. Let's transition into a question here from Gordon. You kind of talked about real estate a little bit, also alternatives, but also things that have been around a long time. And real estate and investment properties and rental properties have certainly been a topic that's not new to the financial landscape and to folks you know, looking for retirement income and that kind of thing. That's kind of where Gordon's question is going here. Gordon in Delaware says, I really want to get into rental properties, but we have some student loans we still need to pay off. Do we need to do that before getting into the landlord game? That is a great question. And I'm assuming Gordon is in the younger generation with, although maybe not, still having student loans. And I'm probably going to take could, something could be from good old student loans, right? What's that? Could be the student loans of children as well, I would think. Oh, that's a great point. But, I didn't potential, even think about potentially, that. Potentially, right? But I'm going to take something, and I normally do not do this, but this is actually one aspect of what he says I really agree with. And that's what Dave Ramsey talks about in terms of getting out of debt. And when you're looking at student loan debt, we look at not only how much we actually owe, but then we look at the annual carrying cost or the payments and what the interest rate is that we're paying on that outstanding balance. And I would say, first of all, you would look to get out of debt because when you, I like your language when it says before getting into the landlord game. So let's think about exactly what you're asking there is I'm going to get into the landlord game, which means I'm going to go buy a property. I'm going to put money down. I'm going to have an ongoing payment and then I'm going to get somebody in there that's going to rent and hopefully I'm getting more rent money than I have in my mortgage payment along with real estate taxes and insurance. But you're the landlord. When they call you on a Saturday night and the toilet just blew up and you've got a $3,000 plumbing bill, you're going to have to come out of pocket cash that could have went to pay down that student loan. And so that's where I think you really have to look. It's not that I am saying anything bad about real estate investing. I've got numerous clients that are heavy into the real estate game. And you really have to understand the game and know how to do it. And in some cases, they will have debt as part of their real estate strategy, but the debt is on the property, just like what I was talking about there, having a mortgage on the real estate. But when you have outside debt, whether it's student loan debt or credit card debt, that probably isn't the best debt for you to personally have and thinking that the real estate you have over here is going to help you get out of that debt. Because when you're the landlord, you're the one that's got to pony up the dollars to take care of whatever that situation is, whether it's plumbing or roof or, you know, good night, the people moved out and I got to put new carpet in, got to do some painting. 
that kind of stuff. That's money that could be going to pay off that outside debt that's sitting over here right now you're categorizing as student loan debt. So I would probably tell you, get aggressive with the student loan debt and then really investigate into what it's going to take to get into the rental business. And like I said, I've got some clients that have done extremely well with the rental business, but they don't carry really any debt on the outside, maybe a personal residence only. All of their debt is structured around their rental business in and of itself. So the rental business, the income that's coming off of that, it's servicing the debt on those particular properties. Great questions on the podcast today, and I think that's a really good one to ask, Gordon. A lot of people, don't they, Matt, turn to that rental, I hate to use that term game, but you said you kind of like that rental or landlord game in their retirement years. Do you find yourself advising folks that if they've done it in the past, that it's a good idea to continue doing it in retirement, whereas if you're just now getting into it, as you reach your retirement age, then maybe it's less of a good idea? I've got a real good buddy that is an accounting professional that I like the way he talks to clients about it. And he always uses, he actually says, are you ready to be a landlord? You know, you're 70 years old, you're 65, you're retired. Are you really ready to get that call at, you know, six o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday and you're playing golf out in Arizona? Because on the flip side is, okay, well, I can just hire a property management firm but now they're cutting into my profits. And is that really the best thing? Or I've got another client that has probably four or five properties and they have family members that are actually acting as the property management firm and not collecting a fee because their end goal is that their heirs will inherit their rental properties. Now that's a pretty good strategy. The parents are getting income that we're using as part of their income plan they're not looking to liquidate those particular rental assets because when the heirs actually inherit it, they'll get a full step up in basis and now they can start the depreciation game themselves while getting the income. So it's kind of a trade-off. But just doing the onesie twosie type stuff as rentals, you really got to think long and hard. Are you ready for that potential financial and time obligation? What I usually find is people that are, hey, listen, I'm three or four years from retirement. I'm ready to at least the three, four or five years go out and really enjoy myself in whatever activities or family type gatherings that they want to go do. So the rental business, the clients I have that have made that really part of their career, they usually started it younger and they stayed with it and they really built a rental portfolio of you know single families, maybe duplexes, four to five, six complexes. I got one client that owns like a 25 unit apartment complex, Wow! but they've been doing that for quite a while. And so they really understand the industry and the strategies that you have to put in place. And what I've really learned from them, especially one of them is he talks about understanding. It's not a get rich quick. It's not like I'm going to go find the perfect rental. That's going to turn over $1,500 a month net profit to me. He's built his over kind of his real estate, uh, lack of a better term, empire, is that he's built that over, you know, 25 years. And he's like, you know, I, I was doing that while I had a full-time job and I didn't look to quit my job and really go into being self-employed. He's a business owner now outside of his rentals. I didn't do that until that number that the rental income was producing and I had enough history, you know, I had enough data to show me 
what my average occupancy rate was, what my average rental costs were, what my average profit was. He wanted to have all of that data before he jumped out and then went in another direction with his career, but he still was buying those rentals. So there's a lot to understanding rentals. And so if you're going to jump into it later in the game, hey, more power to you. As long as you're fully aware and you have the right expectations on what to expect. You know, so many times just in life in general, we have unmet expectations and maybe we didn't really look at them correctly to begin with and we were expecting too much. And so we get dismayed or we get discouraged from that. To answer your question, does it make sense to get involved later? You really want to analyze that. That's my advice to clients when I hear that. And these are the things that you analyze in a one-on-one meeting, in an appointment, whether it be over, you know, a Zoom meeting, you know, online with somebody in, you know, North Carolina, California, or Michigan, or if they come into the office in Delaware or Pennsylvania, you're able to kind of walk through just this one element of that conversation and see how it fits in with the rest of the plan. Yeah, you know, I, with regards to the real estate industry as a whole, residential and commercial, I've I've got a pretty extensive background myself. I've had a title license actually since 2000, and I've been a partner in the past in title insurance companies. And when you're in the title insurance world, you get to see all different types of real estate structures, commercial, residential, how the deals are structured and what the people who are buying them, whether it's for personal use or in this case, buying rentals really what their strategy is. And so I've been able to see a lot of that. We incorporate, if we have someone that owns one rental or multiple rentals into their income plan, along with the rest of their investments and the rest of their potential income streams like pension and social security and stuff like that. Well, if you are interested in having conversations like this, about your financial plan, about your financial life, what you're looking to get out of your retirement years, no matter how far away from those years you may be, now's the time to start discussing and talking about those goals, dreams, and wants. Matt Hausman's there for you if you have additional questions. You want to reach out here a couple of ways. You can go to smartmoneyquestions.com, of course. The website has past podcast episodes that you can listen to, videos to check out, blog posts, and more information, smartmoneyquestions.com. You can email info at smartmoneyquestions.com, info at smartmoneyquestions.com. That's an easy way to get in touch as well. Or give a call the old-fashioned way, 610-719-3003. That's 610-719-3003. I kind of picture, Matt, that there's got to be a handful of folks who probably want to throw the radio I guess if it's in their car, they can't really throw the radio, but they want to bash the radio in. Every time I say the old-fashioned way is to pick up the phone and call <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm probably getting cursed as like, you know, that that millennial calling phone calls the old-fashioned way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> so if if I'm causing you to want to drive off the road out of frustration, I do apologize. But it is. It is the old-fashioned way, isn't it, these days? <laughs> but you know what? It's still the best way. I, I talk about it, it to my kids. You know, I was like, if you're texting someone or you're emailing and you're not getting a response, pick the phone up and call them. That's right. That's right. Yep. Right? That's the way I have always found, like when we deal with vendors and stuff like that, if I got to go back more than two or three 
email responses. I'm picking the phone up. This is getting ridiculous. Yes, yes. <laughs> there are certain things in life we all need to remember that just a straight-up phone call is much better to handle and address. Because That's exactly right. When we were buying our home, there were a few times like that where the emails were getting traded back and forth, and then finally one of us would just call and be like, this is so much easier. Let's just call. Let's just talk <laughs> for literally 90 seconds instead of 30 minutes of trading emails back and forth. You know, this is this is insane. Yeah, it doesn't matter how fast you can type on your phone or your tablet. It's right. always easier to, you yeah. know. So the old school way will probably always be the best way. I'll say it like that. There you go. Absolutely. The phone numbers themselves may eventually disappear someday, but the old verbal communication in some way, shape, or form is not going to disappear, I don't think. All right, Matt, that's fun. Uh, appreciate the time as always, and we'll talk to you again on the next podcast. Sounds great. We'll see you. All right, man. That's Matt Hausman, founder of Old Security Group. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time when we answer more of your smart money questions.